Hello and welcome to another episode of Soundstage Access, a podcast that brings you in-depth to discuss many of the complex, beautiful, and creative sides of filmmaking. I'm your host, Brando Benetton, and our guest this week is David Newman, a film composer and conductor whose music was present in much of my childhood, and who received an Academy Award nomination for his work on 1997's Anastasia. David is a member of the Newman family, who helped write and make film music history over the last century. His father, Alfred Newman, was among the first musicians to compose and conduct original music during Hollywood's Golden Age, and whose career brought him nine Academy Awards and 43 nominations. His brother, Thomas Newman, also works as a composer and has scored such movies as Skyfall, Shawshank Redemption, and Pixar's Finding Nemo. In our episode, we talk about the film music that inspired David at an early age, how film scores like Chinatown and King Kong shaped film music as we know it, and his experience conducting live orchestra events all around the world. So without further ado, let's go to our conversation. David, thank you so much for doing this. It really means a lot. We're going to start from the beginning, if you want, in the sense that you grew up, obviously, in a, in a house which had not just a tradition for music, but love for it as well. I don't ever remember not being able to read music. There was an orchestra, period, an hour every day from first grade to 12th grade in the L.A. Unified Public School District. Tom and I had a music history class in high school when we were in 11th grade that was way beyond anything we did in college in terms of its complexity and what we were what we were expected to do and learn. It was heaven. When I got out of high school in 72, I went to SC as a violin performance major. So I spent four years, you know, violin, doing, you know, whatever it was. And then uh, for a two years master's degree, which it took me about four or five years to get because I was working, I got a master's in conducting with uh, Dan Lewis. My mom used to take us, my brother and I, four nights a week, we would go to what what we call community orchestras. So the Musicians Union here has a fund where if you apply for it and get it, you can hire professional musicians for like your dress rehearsal and concert. So there are all these community, you know, there's Palisade Symphony, Pepperdine Symphony, Santa Monica Symphony, you know. There's millions of these groups where mainly it's amateurs, but a lot of studio players would play the principal things, and then professionals would come at the end. So it sounded pretty good. So by the time Tom and I were 15, 16, we had rehearsed and performed like all the Beethoven symphonies, all the Tchaikovsky symphonies, much of the canonic literature, and been to rehearsals every week. Playing in an orchestra is the greatest thing in the world if you know how to do it. If you can, if you're good enough to listen and be part of it and and not so struggle that you can't hear what's going on around you, if you're facile enough to do it, it's got what we call jock stuff. It's got intellectual stuff. It's got social stuff. You know, there's girls, there's guys, there's (laughs) there's food and intermission. There's, you know, and, and these community orchestras, there's much older people, younger people. It's a fantastic endeavor. Place to be yeah. The most innocent, beautiful, pure artistic experience I've ever had is is doing high school musicals, if you can believe that. No one's there except they love it. Yeah. And it's all new and it's all fun and the people and the parties and the, you know, the what I was talking about with the orchestra. It's it, it has it it's its own it's its own world with its own 
cast of characters that tech people are like this and the directors this and the dancers are this and the, the you know and the singers are this and you know like in an orchestra the brass players are a certain type the wind players are a certain type and the you know percussion and it, it it's it's its own world with its own codes that you have to kind of learn what do you think the biggest misconception is that people have about film composing in terms of it being compared to, you know, Mahler or Beethoven, there's always this, I think, misunderstanding of what it is exactly. Because it is functional, but it doesn't mean that it can't be really artistic. Film music's a very young art form, relatively. You're talking the real first film scores were around 1932-33. The beginning of it is Max Steiner's um, score to King Kong. Generally, scores were before then were pastiches of some classical music, some original music, and da 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 da. So they tested that movie, King Kong, with the score that had been done, and people were laughing. They just thought it was stupid. The the special effects, it wasn't scary. So Steiner said, "Let me write a completely original score that has themes and it's unified and it'll unify the film and it'll make it scary." Yeah, And so he did it. It was extremely successful. Then everyone started hiring composers to do original scores. When you write for an orchestra, there's a set group that's historically what an orchestra is. Yes, it can be expanded and contracted or, or whatever. In film music, uh, you can do anything because it's a one-off. A good example would be Alex North's score to Spartacus. Actually, here's a better example. I've been doing West Side Story as a live movie. You know, there's this mm -hmm. whole live movie orchestra, orchestra yeah. thing going on. So we got a chance to really look at the the orchestration of West Side Story for the movie, which was this huge overblown thing. And there is a cue, the prologue in the beginning, that had, I think, eight pianos, eight xylophones, uh, just a gigantic orchestra, like like Spartacus is a is quadruple winds and and you know eight horns, eight trumpets, eight trombones, probably twelve you know things that you could never do with any kind of consistency in a regular orchestral um, symphonic right. situation. It's in that way it's really appealing because you can do anything you want. For instance, another example, a good example would be Jerry Goldsmith's score to um, Chinatown. Yeah. That movie, I don't know if you know it or your listeners know, it's it's a noir kind of thriller mystery about the uh, beginning of the valley, the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, having to do with water rights, mm -hmm. which is scored for four harps, four pianos, strings, and a trumpet. I think Jerry, I, I was pretty good friends with Jerry, said he just he just made that up on the spot. They asked what orchestra did he want, and he said, ah, I want this. But you know something's going on in that guy's head because that is the absolute perfect orchestration for that movie because of the noirishness with the trumpet and the strings and this watery background of, of a bunch of instruments like that playing unison things, which he uses a lot in the, not to get technical, but he uses that to help tell the story of, of what this is about. Yeah. I was reading that you didn't start considering composing until like age 29. Yeah. Which is amazing yeah. because one would imagine you have been composing 
from you know even yeah. earlier um and and i was reading about your experiences you know with john williams and lalo yeah. schifrin and jerry goldsmith and i was going to ask you once you did step into the idea of okay let's try this composing thing out how do you feel like those sessions those orchestral recording sessions informed the way oh, you started it, writing it totally it totally informed i'm very much a musician an orchestral musician it's i i read really well at least on the violin i read really well I listen to everything that's going on around me. So if if somebody is correcting a note in the woodwinds or the brass or whatever, I'm lo always looking at my part to see how it applies to, to me, yeah. right? And one of the hard things to learn about film music is that you have to change things sometimes on the fly and you can do it. Yeah. You can change it, you can fix it, you can fix stuff. You can fix your own orchestration mistakes, your own composition mistakes, and you can fix what they don't like. You know what, like that famous story of John with the end of E.T. He couldn't get it in sync. He'd either get a great performance, but it was out of sync, or he'd get a performance that wasn't so great, which was in sync. He did it over and over, and finally, they picked a performance that they liked that was just a little bit off, and Spielberg recut the film. So that it was in sync. Because of the fact of the way films are made, I would posit at a certain point, a movie in post-production, if not before, takes on a life of its own. It almost becomes sentient. I agree. In that in pre-production, everyone's conceiving of what the movie is. All right. Then you go shoot the movie. You look at dailies. You might get an inkling. It's not exactly what you thought it was going to be. You have different people doing different things. You have set decorators, costumes, locations, things that when you were just conceiving it are going to just inevitably change it, yeah. right? Then you get to post-production and you start editing the movie, cutting the movie, and then it changes yet again. The good directors will follow along they will follow the film any good artisan that is making a movie tries to follow the movie because the movie is the primary thing and the movie is a sum of all these people and all these parts but ultimately it's this thing that's in and of itself that you have to follow yeah. and it's hard to do well uh, and i was going to keep that question for later but since you're at it it's a good segue because i was going to ask you about temp music obviously it's I mean, and, and I, we've done films ourselves, and I, I understand when directors get attached to something and it's unfortunate, because at that point I feel like the music that you're about to rescore is more about imitation rather than inspiration. It and it cuts out the possibility to create character themes or, you know, anything. How often nowadays does it happen for you to be delivered a movie, you know, quote, blank, It's never, it's not even, I don't even think about it now because they're temping dailies. I mean, it, there's an editor on a set, generally, in a movie that has any kind of budget at all, um, even, even one that doesn't, you know, and they're looking at dailies and then cutting scenes together and they're immediately putting music on. No one will cut without music, generally. I would never... I would posit that 99.99% of all movies made when they first come to a composer are tempt. I was going to start asking about specific projects that I think are interesting to talk about. Sure. Uh, the first one being Jingle All The Way. Yeah.
And the reason I bring it up, not only it's really dear to my heart, I love that movie so much, and in hindsight, I was thinking what a special thing it must have been, because this is, I think, about five years before the superhero genre, yeah. just, I'm, I'm talking about like the modern yeah, yeah, one, yeah. launched. So I was wondering what a precious opportunity it must have been to create a, a musical identity for a superhero yeah. which doesn't exist yeah. and i was wondering how how was you know looking back how was your process working on that and how it came that, about that was brian levant who i'd done the flintstones for and that was his second film and i way early on wrote for shooting i wrote that theme the turbo man yeah. theme for that march with the guitar and all that you know so i we we worked on that early on that came really easily actually that theme so if you think of a theme as like a a chorus of a song or or it, it's like song like it you know it's eight bars or whatever and then you use like little parts of it to for the rest of the score and and of course you have some different material but you use that theme a lot little pieces of it and bring and, it and, back. and hiding it and going backwards or going up or down and, and and things like that this is a great conversation to be had in terms of like modern film music and i'm looking at superhero films in this yeah. case but it's like when was the last time you had like a hummable theme Uh, yeah. Do you have a process for like archiving music, let's say, or music ideas, I should say. If you're on a trip and you're driving and a tune comes, no, it just, you gotta hold it in your mind and I, hope. I, or, I, I just don't, uh, it doesn't work for me that way. It works for me, I, I have to, I have to work. I have to like do it. It doesn't, nothing, n music doesn't come floating into my, into mm -hmm. my head. Early on, I did. I, I I worked for Danny DeVito. I did several films for him. The first film I did for him was called Throw Mama from the Train. So I did a main title. He sort of liked it, and then a few days later, he said it's not working. And I got so freaked out. You know, I didn't know what to do. I sat down and I started working, and then it just a couple of bars, a couple of bars, a couple of bars. Oh, it's starting to. You know, it's. A little funnier it's a little lighter but it's still edgy and dark and you know and and then when i went and did it it was way better than if i'd done it the first time yeah he thought it was a miracle you know my father really he thought the use of the word artist i'm an artist is way overused i think he thought of himself as an artist don't get me wrong but i think that word banding about you know everyone in popular culture refers to themselves as an artist you know and i think my father felt like he was more of not a workman but a and, and i don't want to use that as a as a bad term as a pejorative no, no, term it's it's it's, it's, a it's a different it's a different concept of what you are doing inspiration is one in a million you have to work to get inspiration you're not going to just sit down and be inspired you slog and slog and slog and slog and then something wonderful happens it's a lot of work it's a lot of writing a lot of music a lot of deadlines a lot of pressure um a lot of crazy people as i'm sure you know <laughs> yep. people tend not to be so abusive to composers because they're scared i think of alienating because they can't really do it themselves, you know, right. where I think any producer thinks they could direct, act, or uh, right. write better than anybody else anyway. So, yeah. I mean, because pretty much you could do that. You might not be any good, but you could do it, but you can't write music if you can't write music. Absolutely so, not. Yeah. 
I was wondering from your experience, have you ever had a studio or sometimes it's more about the producer who are much more or much less interested yeah. in the composing aspect of, of course. it? Of course. There, there's a whole gamut of, 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 there are some production executives that are just fantastic and some that are just horrible. You know, I mean, it, it's every cliche you can possibly think of. If an executive was a filmmaker, sometimes they're they're much better. I would say it it leans toward them not being that way. It leans toward them being more meddlesome. You know, a lot of times they say, "Oh, it's too dark," so you just take out the low notes. Oh, it's too light. Oh, then you put in low notes. I mean, it. We musicians think it's just so complicated. But the people that are addressing it, it's just not as complicated for them. They don't have all this music and stuff in their head. They're just, you know, it feels dark or it doesn't feel dark enough or it's not funny or it's too funny or it's, you know. How do you describe something is beautiful? There's no way to describe it. It, it You can talk about music in terms of its structure, its thematic development, its, uh, if it is referential, it might be referential to text, but the real glory of Western classical music is its very abstract nature. Another film I want to ask you about mm -hmm. is like the years later is uh, Frank Oz, uh, Cozy yeah. for Bowfinger, yeah. which that I actually- That was really difficult. I rewatched it in preparation for this a few days ago. The score has kind of the 70s uh, feel yeah, to it, funk. Mm -hmm. Kind of feels like a heist movie yeah. a little bit and a lot of these heist movies i was re-watching oceans 11 as yeah, well and i retro they have this retro yeah. thing and i was wondering if that was the inspiration yeah. of it no that frank that was again that was a temp frankly the first maybe 30 40 movies i did i orchestrated myself i didn't even have an orchestrator so i had to learn in that movie that i had to hire people to play you can't mock that stuff up unless you're that kind of a musician so i hired you know a guitar player a bass player a drummer and everything and then i'd sit down on my thing here and i kind of map it out and then we'd record everybody and then it would all of a sudden start to take on a life then i'd add some orchestra you know and and it organically so i initially did some stuff that he just hated and i had a brilliant agent at the time just the best agent he solved the problem for me he got them to hire me. These guys would come up here, right, right in here, and they must have come up 15 times as we tempt everything for Frank. Once that all got going, it was fine because there was a whole system of how to do it. But that's the first time that I had done that. If I need a guitar player, I just don't, I can't play the guitar. I just hire a guitar player. You know, I did a lot of African-American comedies and, and um, I end up using a lot of this kind of music, you know, with a B3 and a Rhodes and a clavinet and, and bass and drums and everything. So I, I've got kind of a, a system now to do it. And if it was hip hop or if it was something else, I'd do the same thing if it was rock and roll or if it was, you know, something that I couldn't find a loop or something for, I would just hire the people. Just in general, since we're talking about style and everything, you probably no. want your music to adapt to the film. It sounds you, like you do, but you are who you are. You yeah, know? in a way, you're writing your own song kind of over and over and over again, yeah. and it, it, it's hard to get. You know, that's why you can always tell John Williams is John Williams. I can always tell my dad is my dad, and Jerry. Jerry's a little more chameleon, but you can always tell it's Jerry Goldsmith. In in five seconds, you can tell. Five seconds, you can tell it's Mahler. We used to play these games, um, 
our friends, our player friends, where you'd sit at a piano and you play two notes and have to guess what the piece was. <laughs> and 90% like of the time, everyone would guess it correctly. Oh, wow. If you're really familiar with what we call the canon of the pieces that all orchestras play over and over again, the Beethoven symphonies, Haydn symphonies, Mahler symphonies, Tchaikovsky symphonies, WC, Ravel, the, there's a big group of it. But most of us have played at one time or another, either as kids or professionally, all of it, you know, because it's, it's not that much stuff. You just know it. And when you've played a piece in an orchestra, there's there's nothing. You 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 learn it backwards and forwards. I've had the pleasure of listening uh, to uh, conduct live. Uh, once was in New York, and my girlfriend at the time didn't understand when, you know, you walked out on stage, I got so excited. And she's like, is that the person who composed the music? I was like, no, 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 that's... That's Dave hmm. Newman, which is what did just, you see? It was a Pixar. It was a Pixar, oh, the Pixar concert. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is the Newman concert. Those are hugely popular. These live events. I mean, there is not an orchestra in the world that is not doing a live movie event now. Wow. It's a hugely positive thing for film music. What's going on now? It really is, and almost every night there is a live movie event or some kind of movie event. I think there's a database on that you can look at that shows all the film music and film music related concerts that are going on. It's just pages and pages every month. I know? need to look at it. Yeah, I all over the world. In Japan, in Asia, in South America, in Brazil, in in Central America, in Mexico. Do you fly in a day early? Do you get yeah, yeah. anything like rehearsal? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, oh, you get lots so of rehearsal. I mean, not lots, but two or three rehearsals. It's yeah. enough. It's a concert for them. It's like doing a Mahler symphony. You're just doing a movie. You know, you rehearse and you deal with the problems and the issues. And, you know, there are all kinds of other issues with the, for the conductor. It, it, you have to synchronize, you know. I mean, yeah. you can't do Back to the Future without synchronizing it. I know when I do it, I really care about the sync. You are responsible for synchronizing and making music. There's no one or the other. It's both. Yeah. But sometimes I hear this thing about, oh, well, the music's the most important. And uh, yes, the music's important, of course. That doesn't mean the sync isn't important. If, you, if you're writing a piece of music and it's synchronized to the movie, that's the whole point of it. <laughs> yeah. You know there is a master document about what that movie should be. Like you're going to the circus, you know, a tightrope. You want to see the guy on the tightrope, but if he falls, it kind of messes up your experience. You don't feel as comfortable with the whole thing, you know. It's just so much more fun for the audience if you hit it and they start to be relaxed and into the whole thing and not worried about the kind of circusy aspect of it. Because there is, like you said, it's live, we're all human, we all make mistakes. Orchestra was invaluable for me because I learned all the codes. Because it's all these unwritten codes about how it works oh, to shit. conduct an orchestra or play in an orchestra. How you behave, what you do, what, what you do to get the most out of the experience. So I, I, I loved that. And there you have it, folks. I would like to thank David for being so generous with his time and welcoming us into his private studio in Malibu. Thanks again. And stay tuned for our next episode with Oscar-winning sound mixer Kevin O'Connell. I'm Brando Benetton, and you have been listening to Soundstage Access. Soundstage Access.